Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. And so we're in John chapter 9 tonight. We are starting a, a brand new series of messages tonight that I've called The Art of Hearing God. And our theme for the next six weeks, Lord willing, is on how do we hear the voice of Almighty God uh, speaking to us if, in fact, he does. Now, um, if you're a new Christian, that's probably very intriguing to you to consider the concept that God might speak. If you are an older Christian, you've been walking with him for a while, uh, then I know that what God has to say to us is going to strengthen your ability to hear, your sensitivity to tune in to what he has to say, and just as a refresher and a reminder that God does, uh, in fact, speak. It's a very intriguing subject to me personally, um, just because of the, the suggested possibility of the fact that Almighty God might be willing to speak to fallen man. And that's an amazing thing. Sometimes you'll hear somebody and they'll say that God spoke to them. They'll say, the Lord spoke to me. And, and immediately you go, the Lord spoke to you. Like, what does that mean? Do, do you have, do you have a, a, a cell phone? Did he text you? Like, what exactly does it mean that the Lord spoke to you? Or someone says, I heard God's voice. And you're like, what is, is that like Charlton Heston? Or does he have like a deep, what does that sound like? God's voice, that God spoke to you. And, and sometimes you can hear someone say that. And, and part of you can think, well, is this person crazy? <laughs> you know, are they delusional? Or maybe they're caffeinated? Like, what exactly is it? that they think that they're hearing. But it, it does raise curiosities, I think, for all of us to think that God might speak. Um, we would ask the question, well, who does God speak to? Does he speak to just anybody? How does God speak? Does he speak um, generically? Is it universal that he just kind of speaks and, and like whoever kind of can tune in can hear it? Is it universal or is it personal? Does he speak personally to people? Can I expect to hear him in that way? You know, what kinds of things does God say? Does he just kind of give you a scripture? Is it like a fortune cookie type of thing where he just, you know, what does God say if he speaks to you? And, and what does it actually even mean? for God to speak? Like, is it an audible voice or is it uh, something that we sense from within? Is it spiritual? Like, what can I expect if God's going to speak to me? What am I listening for? And how will I recognize the voice of God uh, if he's going to speak to me? And so all of these things kind of flood through our minds, maybe subconsciously, when we hear that God can speak or that God would speak. And over the next six weeks, I'm hoping to take us through the word and what God has said, not the opinions of a man, and that we might answer these questions and at the same time that we might be equipped ourselves to be able to hear what God wants to say to us, that we might have expectation in our lives that God wants to speak to us and that he's going to speak to us, and that we also might then experience the reality of having God speak to us in a personal and living uh, and, and meaningful way. And so what I want to do this week as we introduce the series is I want to answer the question of who exactly does God speak to? Who does God speak to? if God speaks to people? And that's a very important question. Now, from here, as we go on through the next six weeks, we're going to talk next week about finding the frequency or getting within earshot. How do we get ourselves practically into a place 
where we're hearing from God, if we can hear from God. Then after that, we're going to talk about learning to hear. How do we learn this? It's, you know, I called the series The Art of Listening to God because there is something to it, and we'll see in the scripture that that's a reality. Then the fourth week, we're going to talk about the amplifiers or turning up the volume. What other things does God give to us? What kind of spiritual instrumentation does he equip us with in order that we might hear him more clearly? And then week five, we're going to talk about recognizing providence. That is, how does God speak without using words? You know, recognizing the voice of God when he doesn't speak audibly. And then the last week, we're going to talk about, uh, it's called connection lost or overcoming a poor signal. What happens if you feel like you've grown distant or his voice has gone fuzzy? What are the reasons for that and how can we overcome it? And so I really think that God is going to use this in your life. I think he's going to uh, um, help you to clear out and, and make clear what he wants. So why don't we just pray right now that his anointing would be upon his word, that his anointing would be upon our hearts, and that we would receive what we've come for, because I think we all want to hear God speak to us. So Father, we, we do just lift up our, our hearts to you, and we lift up this time, and we lift up our intention in being here. And Lord, we want to ask you, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, upon this place, we want to ask you, Lord, that you would give us a clarity and, and a sensitivity and an ability to hear you. We pray, Lord, that you would make these studies and these uh, truths personal, Lord, that we would be able to receive what you have for us and that it would change the face of our Christian experience, that it would change the dynamic of our spiritual life, that it would change our confidence, that it would build hope within us, that we would have a sense that we're moving according to your will and that we're being answered when we seek you. And so, Lord, would you please fill us even now? And, Lord, would you bless your word tonight? And would you equip us, Lord, with all that we need that we might receive from you? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in John's Gospel, the ninth chapter, and I've called this message, I was blind, I now hear. And you'll understand why, when we go through this, uh, why that is such an amazing truth that we see. Now, John's gospel, in case you're maybe new to the things of God, John's gospel is unique from all of the others. There are four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is distinct. It's very much different. If you just were to read all three, you'd see that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. And then John is kind of like, he just said, I need to be different. But, but not exactly, you know. John's intention was not so much to chronicle the history or the path of Jesus in his ministry, but rather, the narrative that John gives, or the path that he takes, is that he centers his writing, his testimony, around seven miracles that Jesus did. And he does follow kind of a sequence as he presents these seven miracles. What he does is that he first describes the miracle that Jesus does, the sign, as they're called, because signs point to something. And then he testifies of the conflict or the fallout that happens because of the miracle. There's always some tension that is created because of what Jesus is doing and because of who Jesus was. And then Jesus uses that tension and that conflict to teach something about who God is or what he came to do that points back to what the miracle was intended to teach. And he does this seven times throughout his gospel. And so we're going to look at one of those tonight because it illustrates the point and answers the question that we're asking is, does God speak and who does God speak to? 
And so it's the miracle or the sign of a man who was born blind and Jesus restores his sight or Jesus heals his eyes. And so it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 9 of John, it says that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth. And so Jesus, wow, that you got to have, this is an eye test too. You really have to hear the voice of God tonight because if you can't see, then you need to hear, you know, what's going on, you know. <laughs> but what we have is we have a scene that Jesus comes into And as he comes into it, we see that there's a man, and the man has a condition, and the condition is that he cannot see with his physical eyes. The faculty of his eyesight is gone, and then we're told of the duration. It says that he has had this condition from birth. So for the whole span of this man's life, he has been unable to see with his physical eyes. Now, when the Bible talks about blindness especially in the New Testament or the whole idea of seeing. It means a whole lot more than just the physical faculty of sight. The the word blindness that's translated, the definition of the word is actually to be enveloped in smoke. And so the idea behind it is that there is something there in the room or there is something present but it cannot be seen or comprehended or described because the smoke clouds the view or the vision. And this becomes so much more than just physical because there can be a lot of things going on in a situation that cannot be seen but yet are very real and we don't have eyes to see what they are. There's different types of blindness. Now, Jesus is going to show at the end of the fallout that occurs because of this miracle that that's what he's pointing at. He's not so much trying to teach us about people that can't see that he heals the faculty of their vision. And we know that because if you just glance at verse 39 of chapter 9, and we'll get to, you know, the context of Jesus' words here. Jesus said, there are red letters, it says, For judgment am I come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that what this miracle is intended to illustrate and the point that that this was done for is not because of physical things that can't be seen, but rather there are other things that can't be seen. Did you know that there are many different types of blindness? There are some people that are, I guess what I would call, socially blind, we kind of maybe call them nerds. You know, I know this from personal experience, is that they're just not able, when they come into a room, to really comprehend what's going on in the interactions between people. They don't know how to behave. They don't know what's appropriate and what's not. They don't know what to say. They might be somewhat shy by nature. They just have kind of a social blindness. They can't understand interactions with other human beings. Now, some people have 20-20 vision when it comes to social things. They can come in a room, they can work it, they can interact with anybody, they, they know how to just shoot the breeze and, and relate with people. And it, it's like you have this two ends of the spectrum. There's other people that have a blindness for maybe fashion. You know, I, again, I know this by personal experience. You know, th- they know how to put clothes on, but they don't know how to get dressed. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's me. I can put clothes on, but my wife has to dress me. 
Because sometimes I come, come in and she goes, uh-uh, that ain't going to fly. That's not going to work. You got to change something there. Choose the pants, the shirt, or the shoes, but you can't do that. That combination doesn't work. Uh, okay, you know, I get it. You know the whole thing. There's other people that are mechanically blind. They need a label maker, and they print up instructions and put it on the door to remember how to work the doorknob. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like there's some people, they just cannot see technological things. You know, and, and there's almost like a blindness there. And then, and then there's some people that just understand. They know how things work, and there's just this ease with them of understanding it, the whole thing. There's some people that are blind when it comes to, uh, we'll call it practical things. That's called a lack of common sense. They're blind when it comes to just common sense. Sometimes we call those people clueless. Uh, maybe in a different context than church, we might call them idiots. You know what I mean? But they just lack common sense. And, and you look at them and you say, are you blind? Do you not understand? Can you not get it? You know? And there's a blindness there. They can't see. There's some people that are situationally blind. They, they come into a situation and, and it's completely hidden from them the dynamics of what's really going on. Sometimes we call those people naive. They just believe the facade that's being presented to them. I I believe that talk radio, you know, a lot of the things that we hear on talk radio, I think that if we allow ourselves to go too far down that path, we, we, we are in danger or vulnerable of this, to think that what we're hearing that's being presented is really what matters and what's really going on. Sometimes there's a little bit of naivety there, but there's a blindness. We can't see, and that's what it's intended to do, we can't see beyond the veneer or the facade, and thus there's smoke, so we're situationally blind. We can't comprehend what's going on. Sometimes there's a blindness that we can have towards our value. A person can be blind to their own value. Sometimes that's not a blindness that comes from birth. Sometimes that's a blindness that happens because of the way people treat them. You know, I know many people grow up, and, and in the, 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 the setting that they grow up in, they're told that they have no value. They're treated like they have no value. And so they kind of believe that they have no value, and they come into adulthood, and they never really realize that they have value in the sight of God or in the sight of someone else or even have something to contribute. But they genuinely can't see it, and they really think that they're worthless. They're blind to the value that they have. But probably the greatest condition, the worst condition that can happen, and probably the most common, is what we would call a spiritual blindness. And that is the inability to see that there is a spiritual realm that can't be seen with the human eye, but that very much exists and is in fact very real, but we just can't see it. There's a blindness. And so what we realize is that there's many different types of blindness other than just the inability to see with our physical eyes. But here's the conclusion that we come to on that, is that every human being that lives has both areas where we can see very clearly and areas where we are absolutely blind. Now, I don't know if you can receive that or believe that. I know that I can. There are areas that I am blind. I have a tendency to be naive. Again, I can't dress. Sometimes I lack common sense and social skills. But there's other things that are very clear to me. They're very easy for me. I can see them very clearly. So everyone has blind spots, blindness in areas, and everyone can see in certain areas. And so what you can do with that is you can put yourself right in the shoes of this man that was born blind And you can realize that that's all of us to some degree, and thus Jesus has something to say to us, 
And ultimately, he has a solution for that. Now, watch what happens in verse 2. It says that his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I, I love the disciples, but aren't they just like us? Because they automatically jump to the conclusion that because there is an infirmity in a man's life, that that means automatically it's the result of a sin issue. That somewhere in this, there was some fault. Either he is the victim of something that was done to him by his parents, or it's a consequence of something that he did in his own life. Now, if you think about it, it's kind of deep what the disciples say here, right? Because look what it says in the verse. It says that they they ask, who did sin, this man or his parents? Watch, that he was born blind. In other words, they know that he was born blind, but they're still asking if this has something to do with his own sin. Well, how can it have something to do with his own sin if he was born in this condition? And I love the way these guys think, because sometimes, honestly, I think like this too. Sometimes I think, okay, God, I know that I have some blindness issues. There's some things that I greatly lack, weaknesses, infirmities, problems that I have. And sometimes I'll pray about those things and I'll say, God, did you give me this weakness or this blindness because you knew that if you gave me a strength or vision in this area that I would ruin my life? That's essentially, God, what's going on here in this whole thing? The other thing, is this his parents' fault? Is this because of something that his parents did? I remember when my mother passed away, it was about eight or nine years ago now, um, we had her oldest sister and um, her husband, my, older, my aunt's husband, over, and we were having dinner with them, and we were talking about my mother, and I was asking questions. You know, she died a little bit young, and there was things about her life I didn't know, and so I asked my Aunt Mary and my Uncle Lou, I didn't want to say that, actually, in case they're watching uh, online. But I asked them, and I said, what was my mother like when she was young? And, and my uncle just almost jumped out of his seat, and he, and he had this big smile, and he just goes, she was a nerd. Now, you know, you might think, well, that's cold, that's mean, you know, but it was actually kind of a lighthearted, humorous situation. But I remember just thinking, like, that's why, That's exactly what happened. I'm a victim. I inherited this social dysfunction. That's what's going on in my life. You know, I felt validated. It was a freedom moment. You know, like there's nothing I can do about this. But I love Jesus' response to the question because they assume that this is a consequence from some sin and Jesus' answer essentially is no. It's neither of those things. He's not a victim This isn't a consequence of something he did. It's bigger than both of that. It's not even, Jesus says, a flaw that he inherited because of original sin or something that God screwed up when God made him. It's not even any of that. It's bigger than all of it. Watch what Jesus says. Verse 3. It says that Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but, and here's the reason, this is why the man was born blind. This is why there's an infirmity, a weakness, an inability to see in a particular area. This is why, listen, that the works of God should be made manifest in him. 
the reason why this man is blind, the very reason why he is blind is because that is the very area where God is going to be revealed in his life. The word manifested literally means something that was unseen, but is now revealed. And Jesus is saying that it's his very weakness, his very blindness, that's the place that God is going to be seen in this young man's life. Now, isn't it interesting that God likes to make himself known in our infirmities? I almost find that paradoxical. Sometimes it can almost seem kind of cruel, that it's the very things that I hate the most about myself that God wants to show up in. You know, I think of Moses, who God came to him and said, Hey, Moses, I want to use you as my mouthpiece. And Moses was like, I'm not, exactly. He said, God, I stutter. I can't speak. And God said, that's where I want to show up within your life. I love the fact that Joshua, this man who all of a sudden is tasked with this amazing responsibility to lead the people of God into a battle where they have no weapons, no organization, and no official training, and he's got to go in and take a fortified city, and he doesn't have a plan, and he comes to God, and he says, God, I don't know how to do this. And I find it remarkable that to this day, West Point Military Academy studies Joshua as a model of how to do battle. See, it's in our weakness, it's in our blindness that God wants to manifest himself and make himself known. And here's the remarkable thing about God, is that when he made us, he weaved a weakness into the fabric of our being so that he would in that have a place for his grace to operate. And that's an amazing thing that God does. Jesus said, this is not because of sin. This is because this is the very thing and place within his life that I am going to show up and manifest God. Now watch what Jesus says next because it's even more remarkable than that in verse 4. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Here's what Jesus says. He says, not only is his blindness there as a place where God's work can be made known, But then Jesus says, I am that work. I must work the works of God. I'm the one. It's me that's going to come into this man's life in the place where he can't see, in the thing that he hates most about himself, in the place of his greatest need. I'm going to come into his life right there, and I'm going to show myself strong where he's weak. I must work the works of God as long as it is day. Jesus is our help and our strength and the power of our weakness. Now, what follows, because we can't go line upon line through two chapters of the Bible tonight. What follows from here is that Jesus performs a miracle of healing upon this man who can't see. He spits on the clay. He calls himself the light of the world. The man is sent to the pool of Siloam. He washes with the water there, and he comes again, and he can now see. The miracle is completed. The chapter then unfolds, and it describes the fallout and the conflict and the tension that came on the other side of that miracle. The religious rulers of the day that were strongly resistant to the ministry and person of Jesus Christ, they set forth to verify the miracle. They contact the man's parents to confirm that he actually was born blind. And when they can't discredit the miracle or the work that Jesus did, 
They take immediately to maligning Jesus and maligning the man and seeking to discredit his testimony because they're fearful of what it will mean for their influence if Jesus' influence rises to the surface. And so they interrogate this man. They eventually excommunicate him and cast him out of the synagogue. And it's at that point that he has a second encounter with Jesus Jesus now knowing that he's been excommunicated and Jesus asks this man and he says, do you believe in the name of the son of God? And the man says to Jesus, he says, who is he Lord that I might believe on him? And Jesus said, I that speak to you am he. And the man said, I believe. And then he worshiped that man that day went from true blindness into true sight from true darkness into true light from death into life by professing faith in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus declares the truth that he was seeking to unfold by performing this miracle in the first place at the end of the chapter. Watch what happens in verse 40. It says that some of the Pharisees, the religious rulers which were with him, heard these words and said unto him, to Jesus, listen, Are we blind also? Now, these men have physical sight, but they're starting to understand that blindness means more than just the physical. Are we blind also? And here Jesus responds. He says, Jesus said unto them that if you were blind, then you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. In other words, these guys, their actual condition is that they were spiritually blind. They couldn't see the truth of God that was standing right in front of them. They couldn't see the only begotten son of God, the one who had power to change a life and open the eyes of the blind. They couldn't see him standing right in front of them. They were spiritually blind, but yet they professed that they could see. And so Jesus says, out of your own profession... And your rejection, you're demonstrating that you, in fact, are blind. And then Jesus, on the heels of this, goes into what he says next in John chapter 10. Now, remember that there is no chapter breaks. The teaching that Jesus gives in John chapter 10 is in response to this issue of blindness and sight. And listen to it. Now, there are three things that happen in John chapter 10. There is, first of all, a parable that Jesus gives, a story that's intended to teach. It's given in the first six verses. And then the second thing that's given, verses 7 through 13, is the interpretation of the parable. And then in verses 14, all the way to the end, is the promise or the application or what it means, what difference it makes in the life of God's people. And so he gives a parable. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we will read the parable. Notice in verse 1. Jesus said, again, in response to this conflict with the Pharisees, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the porter or the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper of the shepherd fold, the sheepfold, he opens And the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The second time. And a stranger will they not follow, but they will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, John interjects his commentary in verse six and he says, this parable, this was a parable, spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spoke unto them. So Jesus first gives this parable, and the parable has these character, these elements. It has the sheepfold, which is the place where the sheep gather. There's a shepherd. He's the one who keeps the sheep. There's a door or a gate that opens and allows the sheep in and out. There's a porter or a bouncer, if you would, someone who is guarding that entryway and controlling the opening and the closing of the door. And then here's the other thing that exists in this parable is that there is a multitude of voices. There's a multitude of voices. And and so there's the voice of the shepherd, and then there's the voice of other so-called shepherds, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, that are seeking to influence the sheep. And so Jesus then goes on and he gives the interpretation because they didn't understand what it was that he was talking about. And he says that he himself, Jesus, that he is both the door and the shepherd. Now that's kind of confusing, but when you bring it into the spiritual realm, it makes sense a little bit later on. He's both the door and the shepherd, And that he wins the trust and the allegiance of the sheep by his good will, by his voice, and by his willingness to lay down his life. That as the good shepherd, he wins the trust of his people who are the sheep. And then he gives the promise. And the promise is given four times. Four times. Now, if a promise is given two times in the Bible, that's concrete. Once spoken, second confirmed. Four times in one chapter. In verse 3, he said that the sheep hear his voice. In verse 4, he says that the sheep know his voice. In verse 16, he says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. That's us because we weren't alive back then. And he said that they shall hear my voice. That's number 3. And then he sums up the entirety of the purpose in verse 27 by saying this, that my sheep, my people, hear my voice, and not only that, but I know them, and they follow me. So there's a relationship dynamic between Jesus and his people where he is the shepherd and we are the sheep and his promise to us, listen carefully, his promise to us is that we will hear his voice, we will know his voice, we shall hear his voice if we have yet to learn how to, and we will hear his voice. He makes it very clear. And his promise is, I know you, I am known by you, and you will hear my voice. Now, that's the promise. Now, here's the amazing thing, is that this promise is given as the answer to blindness. Meaning that in the areas where we can't see, in the areas where we're weak, in the areas where we have infirmities that we were born with or even that we picked up along the way, His promise to us is that he is going to lead us with his voice. He's going to speak into our lives. 
That's an amazingly remarkable thing. Because if you think about a sheep, they have physical sight, but they're pretty blind in just about every other way, right? I mean, they're very naive, they're very impressionable, they're very vulnerable, they're indefensible. I mean, sheep are sheep, and they need a shepherd for a reason, because if they don't have a shepherd, they wander off and die. And he says that that's what we are, and so his solution to that is that he promises that we're going to hear his voice. And so the question becomes, we we know that he is going to speak to us, he's made that very clear, but the question is, who are his people, who are those that will hear his voice. Who are they? Who are the sheep that can expect to hear him speak? Who are they? Well, there's three elements in the chapter, in the parable, that describe that. There's the position of the sheep. There's the place where the sheep are. And then there's the posture of the sheep. Real briefly, the position of the sheep If you notice, there's this mysterious character, and I don't know if it caused you to raise an eyebrow when you heard it read, but the porter, this doorkeeper. In fact, my son said, Dad, who's the porter? Who's the gatekeeper? And I said, well, son, that's simple. He's... (laughs) And really, like, we don't know. I said, he's the Holy Spirit. He's, He's, you know who he is? He's a big guy named Bruno that you don't want to mess with. That's who he is. He is the bouncer that controls the door. And the reason we know he's a big guy that you don't want to mess with is because there's people trying to hop over the walls because they don't want to confront Bruno. Okay, so here's this guy. And what this guy is as the gatekeeper is he's the one that has the list of who's allowed to come in and go out of the sheepfold. Now, if you're invited to the White House or to some royal gathering or some prestigious thing, You would go there, and there would be someone at the door that has an official guest list of who's allowed access into the banquet. And what he would be doing is he would be checking to make sure you have the proper invitation documentation and that that lines up with the list that he has in his hand. And if you have the position of having been privileged to be invited, then he will grant you access and you can come in. Now, in the parable, this porter only opens the door to one person. Did you pick up on that? It says that to him, that is one person, the shepherd, the porter opens. He only opens the door for one person. What does that mean? It means that if anyone, if any one of us is going to get into the sheepfold, then that means we must be positioned in Christ in order to get in because he's the only one that's allowed in and so as we approach he looks and he says is this person in Christ now you say well what does that mean to be in Christ the Bible says this it says that God paid the price for our sins through his death upon the cross his sinless life and then his suffering and death and in that he absorbed the penalty for the sins of humanity And the invitation that God gives to every human being is to receive the gift of forgiveness in the account of Jesus Christ. And when a person says, yes, God, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, and I want to be found and included in his gift and his sacrifice, the Bible says that God places you in Christ. That's your new position. You're now in him. 
Which means that when God looks at you, he sees Christ because you're in Christ. And thus, unless you're in Christ and you're positioned in him, then you can't get into the sheepfold and thus you can't hear his voice. So if you want to hear his voice, the very primary thing is that you've got to be in Jesus Christ. You've got to be saved. You've got to receive the gift that God provided in his son and humble yourself before him and allow you to forgive him, forgive you of your sins. And in that instance, you are now qualified to get into the sheepfold. That's number one. The second thing is the place, not just the position, but also the place. Notice that it's inside the fold. Now you say, isn't that kind of the same thing? I mean, the position in Christ and the place in the fold, I mean, are they the same one? Not really, and here's why. Because there are many people, and there have been throughout history, that are technically in Christ because they've received his gift, they've been born again, but they're outside the fold. At some point, they walked away. Maybe they were disillusioned, or maybe they just became overconfident, and they thought, well, I don't need to be amongst God's people. I don't need to be in the fold. I don't really need to be close to Christ. And they kind of kind of started doing things their own way. And in that, they separated themselves from the fold. And those people shouldn't expect that they're going to hear God's voice. They're, they're walking independently. They're professing with their actions that they can see something that they can't and that they don't have a need that they actually do. And so they're not in the fold. So to be in the fold means to be in right standing with him, to be fellowshipping amongst God's people in the sheepfold. That's where the shepherd speaks partially. I mean, that doesn't mean he's always speaking in church, but when our lives are in the right place with him, we can expect to hear his voice. And then thirdly, not just the position and the place, but also the posture. What's the posture? Do you notice who he speaks to in every instance? Sheep, right? He speaks to sheep. My sheep hear my voice. This is where, honestly, this is where I tend to stumble. Because Honestly, sometimes I don't want to be a sheep. Sometimes my attitude, it can slip into, well, God, I'm, I'm a sheep dog. You know, I watch the sheep. You know, I'm kind of like an under shepherd. You know, I don't, I'm not really one of them. You know, I'm a sheep dog. I don't want to be that. You know, can, can I be the sheep dog? And he says, yeah, you can be a sheep dog. And I'm like, all right, Lord, speak to me. I don't speak to sheep dogs. <laughs> I don't speak sheepdog, I speak sheep. Oh, God, really? Sometimes I don't want to be a sheepdog. Sometimes I want to be a lion. Sometimes I want to be the king of the jungle. I, don't, I want to go off on my own. I want to be a predator. I want to go out and, and I want to devour the prey. I don't want to be dependent. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to confess my blindness. I want to be... And when my attitude shifts out of a posture of humility and into a posture of pride, I find that his voice grows strangely dissonant. And I can't hear him very clearly. See, the posture of those that are going to hear his voice are those that receive in humility the posture of a sheep, recognizing, God, I'm weak in these areas and I need you to lead me. God, I don't understand how to navigate through these situations. God, I don't know how to, to, to operate in a blended family. I'm blind to the dynamics of how that's supposed to work. God, I don't understand how I'm supposed to manage finances or run business or make things work and ends meet. God, that's my weakness. I've always been weak there, and, and I need your help in this. 
And he says this blindness is that the works of God might be manifested in you. And when we're in the position of being in Christ and in the place of walking in fellowship with him and in the posture of confession of saying, God, I'm a sheep and I need you, it's then that we can expect that we're going to hear his voice. We have the promise of him that he is going to do it, that he's going to speak. And so listen to the context of the whole theme of John chapter 9 and 10. It's this. It boils down to this. Is that he speaks where I'm blind. He speaks where I'm blind. And often it isn't until I recognize my blindness or my need that I can hear from God. I had a time not too long ago that I I went for a morning walk, which is uh, pretty common for me. I pray best when I walk. And I was going through this thing where I I really just felt like I was failing in every area of my life. I felt like I'm I'm failing as a parent. Not not that I'm like beating my kids, but I'm just not giving them what they need. I'm just not there enough. Their time is slipping by and I'm losing opportunities. And I just felt the, the weight of that, just being a bad parent. I felt like I was missing it as a husband. I was missing out on things as, a, as, a, as a, a man in that way. I felt like I was failing as a pastor, like I wasn't giving myself uh, to being a servant of the church in the way that I was supposed to. I felt like I was just failing, just every which way. And that, that was bombarding me as I was walking. It was just this feeling of, of inadequacy and incompetence. And, and I can't, and I'm not. And, and how am I? And then what? And, oh, and it was just this horrible feeling that was over me. And I remember expressing it to God and saying, God, I'm failing in this. I'm failing in this. I'm failing in this. And I'm failing in this. Weakness, sheep, God, I can't. I'm blind. I'm stupid. What do I do? And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He spoke to me. He said, he's Were you caffeinated? Were you crazy? Maybe. Here's what he said. He said, do you want a parent? Do you want a pastor? Do you want to prepare your way? Do you want to relate to your friends, to your kids and to your wife, by grace or by performance? And I said, well, God, absolutely by grace. There's no question. And he spoke again. He said, then you're doing just fine. Just put one foot in front of the other and keep going, and I'll work out the rest. And it was the most amazing transformation that happened over my whole countenance and demeanor as I just walked with him that day. But when did it happen? It happened in my weakness. It happened when I realized that I'm a sheep and that I need a shepherd, that there's areas that I can't do it in my life. And what I've seen over and over again is in my weakness, he shows himself strong. Where I can't see clearly, he guides with his still small voice. He covers what I can't cover. He's strong where I'm weak. And oftentimes, people don't hear from God. We miss out on hearing from God because we don't think we need or we simply don't believe that he will. But the word of the Lord to you tonight is that the very blindness that you experience, the weakness that you hate about yourself... It's not a consequence of your sin, nor are you the victim of something that was handed to you from someone else. But the very weakness and blindness that you detest within your life was given to you by God, weaved into the fabric of your being, because that is the very place where he wants to show up and show himself strong on your behalf. So here's the conclusion of the matter. Is that if you have blind spots in your life, then you need to hear his voice. And because you have blind spots in your life, you can hear his voice. And the promise of Jesus to you tonight 
is that if you can find yourself in the position and in the place and in the posture of him being the shepherd and you being the sheep, then he knows how to communicate to you and he's going to make it so that you shall hear his voice. See, we have the Bible and we need the Bible. The Bible is paramount because it's the guide. It's the anchor. It's the truth. It's like the mission, if you would. God communicates to us and he tells us, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, and this is where things are going. And it's concrete, it doesn't change. But we need his voice as well. See, the Bible is like if you were on a, on a military mission, a campaign, a special op, and you knew what the mission was, it was highlighted, it was given to you, you even had it written down. But it's not enough just to know the mission, you need a connection with central intelligence. Because they see what you can't, and they have eyes on the ground in a way where you don't. And so to have the mission sometimes isn't enough. You need his voice. And so Jesus says, listen, you're not just going to have the word, but I'm going to speak to you moment by moment, and I'm going to take care of the things that you can't. And so the big question tonight as we apply, as we consider, is what position do you find yourself in here tonight? Have you come to the place where you have trusted Jesus to be the Savior and Shepherd of your life? Have you come to the place where you've acknowledged and realized that you're fallen, that you're in the condition of sin, that the reason why you do the things that you hate that you do is because of the condition that needs to be healed by that which only Jesus can provide, the very blood that he shed upon the cross? If you have yet to be placed in Christ in that position, I implore you, I implore you, as one who was lost and is now found, one who was blind and can now hear, to get into that place. He has only goodwill for you. He lays down his life for the sheep. He shuts down every other voice, every other competing influence, including that of the Pharisees and the scribes that claim to be the true shepherds. And he speaks life. And he gives life. If you're not in the right position, get in the position. Maybe you're here... And you're on the list, but you're not in the fold. You're not in the right place. You've walked away. You're distant from God. I implore you to come back. He leaves the 90 and 9 to go after the one that's wandered off. And he wants to speak to you. He wants you to hear his voice. And for some of us, maybe we've drifted out of the right posture. We've been in denial concerning the reality of our need. We stepped aside and we've become sheepdogs or lions or independent, maybe monkeys. Who knows? But he's calling us to come to that place again where we realize what we are and that we realize who he is. I want you to consider the weight of the promise that Jesus says, I will speak to you and I'll cause you to hear my voice. He wants to speak personally to you. That's amazing. Because what that does is that it automatically takes Christ from concept to relationship. He wants to relate to you. It takes him from detached from you somewhere out there to involved, he wants to be personal with you. And it takes him from distant, and it makes him very near because he wants to speak to you. What an amazing thing. If I were to stand here before you tonight, and I were to, to make the claim, and I were to say to you, hey, you guys, I got something I got to tell you. There's something about me that you didn't know. I know you think that I'm a man, but actually, I am an ATM machine. It's true. I could prove it to you. I don't feel like I have to, but I am. That's who I am. And I can provide money. 
I can do whatever I, I, I am unlimited. I am an ATM machine. Now, you can look at me, and you could think that I'm crazy. You could think that I'm a liar. You know, you could think. But see, all of that is really inconsequential because ATM is on the list of the 72 accepted genders in the United States of America that we can officially recognize. And so you might say, well, that's good for you. I'm very proud that you're living out your truth, that you're an ATM machine. God bless you. Have a very good day. And you think, walk away and say, that guy's got problems or whatever. <laughs> but something changes if I now ask you and I come to you and I say, listen, I am an ATM machine And I want you to invest everything you have and everything you are in me. And I, in return, will provide for you all the money and, and in fact, everything that you'll ever need. You give your life and your substance to me, and I'll supply everything that you need to you. Now, at that point, I just crossed a line. Because no longer am I just making a claim that I'm something that I'm not, but now I'm asking you to invest in something that I know that I'm not, and I've gone from crazy to evil. Now, Jesus, he declared that he was God. He declared that he was the I am, that he was the savior of the world, and that he's the shepherd that wants to speak personally to his people, and that he is for us everything that we could ever need. Now, if he's not those things and he wants to make that claim, God bless him, he can make it. But the call that Jesus gives to you and I is that we're to put our full trust in the claims that he made and that we're to invest our lives in him to the point of even death, if that's the call, if that's what circumstances ordain or lead us to. See, what that means is that if Jesus isn't who Jesus said that he was, then he has crossed the line from being delusional to now being very wicked because he's asking us to give our lives for the sake of something that he knows that he can't provide. So the question is, he's either who he said he was or he's wicked. There's no middle ground. He can't just be a good man. He can't just be a historical figure. He's either Christ, Lord, Savior, friend, shepherd, provider, and everything that he's put forth to be, or he is wicked. There is no middle ground. And here's the amazing thing, is that Jesus puts his mouth where his money is. Because he says, not only will you give your life to me and I'll see you when you get here, but he says, I'm going to show up in your life day by day. You're going to hear a whisper in your ear saying, this is the way, walk in it, and I'm going to be with you. You're going to know my presence, provision, and salvation in your life day by day while you walk through this world. I implore you tonight, on the onset of this study, this endeavor to hear God's voice, if you are not in that place of knowing him personally as your Lord and Savior, I implore you to consider what you are turning your back on. To realize that the Son of God gave his life for you and that he bids you as a sheep that has needs to come to him and allow him to do what you can never do for yourself. If you're here tonight and you don't yet know Jesus personally, I want to give you the opportunity right now to pray a prayer of asking him to forgive your sins and to save you and be your shepherd so that you can be placed in Christ. 
And I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to stand or come forward. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want everyone to pray this prayer so that no one feels that they're praying alone. But if Jesus tonight, perhaps you sense the knocking on your heart, you hear the claim of his word, you desire the thing that he can provide. And if you would just open your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm willing that you would come inside, then from your heart, mouth these words. Say it out loud with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you gave your life for me, that you are who you say you are, and that you'll do what you'll say you'll do. Would you please forgive me of my sin? Would you please come into my life? Would you save me tonight? I believe you rose. And I believe you'll come. So save me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you to be bold? And if you prayed that prayer with me tonight and you asked Jesus to come into your life for the first time, would you just lift up your hand so I can acknowledge you? See hands? See hands around the room? Anybody on this side? guys stand with me father i thank you tonight that you are who you say you are and i pray in jesus name in jesus name that you would make us sensitive to hear your voice god that you would put us in the right position and in the right place and in the right posture and that you would make us your people and that you'd show yourself to be lord and strong in our life God, that the dynamic of your spirit, your presence, and your power would carry us through, that we'd be changed, that we'd be refreshed and renewed and saved, that you would be the very center of our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.